Does it demand your worship, your life, your lifestyle, your voice, even your body? We are called in Scripture to glorify God with our bodies. And that doesn't just mean avoiding bodily sins. We are meant to glorify him bodily in positive ways. Primarily, I believe, through our worship. God created us as fully embodied, physical human beings designed to worship. So, our bodies actually have parts to play in expressing the glories of God with our whole beings. Over two recent weeks, I summarized multiple sermons that I preached back in 2020. But I never got the chance, thanks to COVID, to finish my thoughts for you on worship. So as we reviewed, we began with how the gospel, what Jesus has done, it makes worship even possible for us, welcoming us into the presence of God. Next, we saw that the church's worship should be shaped by the word of God. And a major part of that is worshiping in community as the gathered family of God. I then spoke to you about how worship needs to originate in our hearts if it's going to be true worship. How what's going on inside of the center of our beings is more important to God than any kind of outward shows or duties that we can perform or words that we say. However, what's in our hearts will still inevitably come out of our mouths and our voices. And so we sing and pray and speak of him. Today, I want to make the argument that what is in our hearts will also impact our entire bodies. We asked before, why go beyond just heart worship? Why use our voices? Now we'll ask, why go beyond just vocal worship? Why use our bodies? And how? The order I did this, though, in, though, is extremely intentional and important. The order has to go heart, voice, body. We worship from the inside out, really. Don't mishear me, okay? The, the heart, our hearts, are still the most vital part of our worship. Yet at the same time, what we do with our bodies isn't unimportant or irrelevant. To borrow an illustration I re read recently, if I told my wife that I love her, but never concretely or physically demonstrated my love to her, hugs and kisses and you know what, and acts of service, and even just looking happy to see her, she wouldn't be too impressed with my words, would she? And she wouldn't have reason to believe what I say. In the same way, our love for the Lord demands to be expressed concretely and outwardly. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he imagines an elder demon mentoring a younger demon. 
and the demon is discussing strategies for tripping Christians up. And he says this, At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals or creatures, and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's true. What our bodies do affects our souls and vice versa. Count on it. I also made sure that this message came after talking about worship being shaped by God's word because I believe this to be a thoroughly biblical aspect of worship, of physical expression. And I know that this topic can be a comfortable one, even controversial. There's a decent chance I might upset some of you today. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Or you may disagree with me. I would just encourage you to consider whether you're disagreeing with me or with God's word. Because my words, you can dismiss them all day long. But God's word, very dangerous to do. So I'll ask you first to open up a Bible with me to Psalm 47. First of several places we'll see, Psalm 47. The page number, if you need help, is on the screen. That's in the Bibles in front of you. But as we've gone along, I've defined worship as coming before God and responding to him in order to glorify him. But how can or should our bodies help us do this? Well, as we look at God's word, I think that we're going to see that physical expression in worship is a response to who God is and what he's done. It is one of these responses to give him glory. The core reason we do this at all is because he is worthy of our all. So here's the point. Bodily worship is a whole being response to God's all-encompassing glory. Bodily worship is a whole being response to God's all-encompassing glory and greatness. Really, it's part of obeying the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Strength, of course, referring to what your physical body can do. And look at Psalm 47 with me. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So right away, we see physical expressions of praise. Clapping, shouting with joy. It's this enthusiastic, passionate, energetic, joyful worship. And then notice the reasons why people are told to worship this way in verse 2. For, or because, the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. So this is entirely based on who God is and what God has done. Continues, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. And if you think, singing itself is 
a basic form of bodily worship. It's something we do with our bodies. And again, why do this? Verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth. <laughs> Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And so we gather together physically to worship him. Verse 9, the princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Can you see that flow of thought? Now, flip back a small handful of pages to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. David sings this. We're going to jump in in verse 8. I'll let you find your place. He sings, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And why? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. Did you see it in verse 9, though? It says, therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. So worship starts out in the heart, and then it moves outward to be expressed by our whole beings. Psalm 108.1 says likewise, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Now in those verses, the word for my whole being or all my being can also be translated as my glory. Glory refers to the comprehensive radiance of something or someone. So in other words, what is radiating out of us? What are we displaying with our whole beings? If you think about it, bodily movement is such a natural response. Whenever we witness special things or, or witness greatness, think of theater or orchestra productions with their clapping and standing ovations or political rallies and, and the cheering and, and waving of signs and flags there or concerts with, with people raising their arms and swaying and jumping and dancing and moshing and crowd surfing or, or sports events with fist pumping and arms raising and towel waving and leaping up to cheer. To anyone who says it's not Canadian culture to be outwardly expressive, I'd respond, you've never been to a playoff hockey game, have you? <laughs> no, we are passionate about what we want to be passionate about. Now, it's not wrong for us to show appreciation or express how we're moved in these ways. It's natural. But how much more should the eternal greatness and resplendent glory of God 
move us. Worship Pastor Bob Coughlin says this, Our bodies naturally respond to what affects our souls. I open my arms wide as my daughter runs to greet me. I jump up from the couch with my hands in the air when my team scores the winning touchdown. I gratefully applaud heroic acts of unselfishness. I cry when a friend's child dies. No one has to teach us those responses. In a similar way, God-honoring expressiveness in corporate worship begins with clearly seeing the one we worship. When we grasp the majesty of God, the mercy of the Savior, and the meaning of our salvation, we'll be more inclined to respond with physical expressions of worship. God's glory and his greatness is all-encompassing. It's everywhere. And we should respond accordingly. And we may have questions like, how much physical expressiveness is too much? Can we go too far? Especially in our individualistic culture, which is drowning in self-expression. Is it really right for us to express ourselves in corporate worship? I would first say that you can't really live life without expressing yourself at all. The real question is, are we expressing ourselves in God-honoring appropriate ways? And yes, there are wrong ways to express ourselves. Mostly stemming from our motives, though. Again, it starts in the heart. Some of us may be more physically expressive just because that's what we're used to. Maybe you come from a, a more expressive family or culture or church background. So expressiveness is just a, a tradition or, or literally going through the motions for you. Or we could be physically expressive because it's our personal preference. We enjoy it. That's good. But not if it's our only reason. Love for God has to come first. We may also want to physically express ourselves to fit in with the crowd around us. But beware. Physical worship can be mere conformity or hypocrisy if it's not from the heart. There are times in Scripture when bodily worship, bodily worship offends God rather than glorifies him. Perhaps the worst motive for worshiping with our bodies, though, is to draw attention to ourselves. So not to fit in, but to stand out in order to, to impress others with our spirituality or our passion. Really, that reverses worship, doesn't it? Puts the focus on ourselves, not on God. True Christ-like righteousness is often secret and hidden, not public or broadcast. So, then we ask, with so many potential pitfalls, why bother with bodily worship? The short yet true answer is because God is worthy of your all. He is powerful and beautiful and merciful and good and great 
and glorious. And there is no better way to express yourself than to do so for his glory. Now remember, we cannot know other people's hearts. So do not presume to judge them for either being too expressive or non-expressive. For example, don't look down on them or laugh at them if they're more excited than you. They may have a courage, a self-forgetfulness, or an overwhelming love for Jesus that should be admired and emulated, not made light of. We can't know each other's motives. Only God knows. But we can judge and examine ourselves. And if our heart is engaged, it shouldn't stop there. I believe that means giving a wholehearted, whole-being response to God's glory. After all, if like Jesus gave us nothing less than everything in order to love us and save us. And he didn't just let his heart get broken. He let his body be totally broken for us. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven bodily, and he will return the same way. He doesn't merely save our souls, forgiving our internal sins and transforming our hearts. He saves us heart, soul, mind, and body. He forgives the sins our body commits, conquering our body's worst enemy of death and guaranteeing a future bodily resurrection. So if the gospel touches and impacts every part of our being, then spiritually and physically, how could we offer God our hearts, yet withhold any other part of us from him? I'll add here that if you have not yet given your heart and life to the Lord, you can do so today. And I hope you would. God gave his son Jesus gave his life, his all, in order to save you from yourself, from your sin, from death, hell, and the devil. He is worthy of your life. So turn from yourself, turn from your sins, and turn to him in faith today. So, true worship is gospel-based, it's scripture-shaped, it's community-centered, it's heart-initiated, and if it's not, then really when we come to today and we see bodily expression, it would be pointless, let alone not make sense. But I think I may need to back up for a minute and get really basic to talk about how worshiping God with our bodies is actually thoroughly biblical. And we're people of the word. We believe what it says. Physical expression can be abused, and some see it as dangerous, so they avoid it. But I think that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Rather, I believe that bodily worship is appropriate and encouraged in God's word. Bodily, physical worship is appropriate and encouraged throughout God's word. To see this, let's stay in the Psalms for now. 
please, you can turn over to, to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And look with me at the first few verses here. Again, David sings, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he said, my soul thirsts, that's internal desire, and my flesh faints, that's external longing. What did this yearning look like for David? Well, he used his eyes and his mind. Again, external, internal. Verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He uses his lips and his will. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And he uses his body. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. In Psalm 28.2, he sings, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Notice again, his voice and his body went together. And why did David lift his hands? Well, it seems to be an expression of his dependence, his, his desperation, his prayer for help. Just like a, a child might lift their hands up to their parents to, when they need help or comfort. Psalm 141 sings, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. See, worship in the Psalms was seen as a holistic whole body activity. But maybe, was this just the Jewish way to worship? Wasn't meant to be the Christian norm? Well, let's turn to the New Testament and to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, where Paul writes to Timothy, the pastor of the non-Jewish church in Ephesus, and he, and just, just in First Timothy 2, first just skim your eyes over verses 3 to 7 to see that the command Paul gives, is about to give here flows out of the gospel and not just some tradition or custom. Okay, he says that, just skim it over, it says, God desires all people to be saved, that there is one God, one mediator, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Like, that's the gospel, right there in a nutshell. And Paul's preaching it. And then he says, in verse 8, I desire then. So based on this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So, where should men pray in this way? In every place. Not just Israel. 
not just Ephesus. Everywhere God's people are to be found, they should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, does that mean we should only lift hands in prayer and not song? No, most songs we sing are actually prayers. But perhaps we have neglected doing this as we pray and should take that to heart. Also, this doesn't only apply to men. Women can and should worship in these ways as well. Here in 1 Timothy 2, it seems Paul is more addressing a typical male temptation to be angry or combative or quarrelsome, even in church. And then he addresses typical female temptations after. But I think an undergirding point here in 1 Timothy is that men are supposed to, they're designed to lead the way in worship. But in general, today, not always, but in general, who do we see more engaged in worship? Women. Not so much the men. Men more often look indifferent or bored silly. Guys, if you love Jesus you have the opportunity to set an example of a better way. I, I couldn't care less if you're into the music. If you're into the Lord, then lead the way in praying and singing and listening. Worship with all that you are. Listen, your, your children, your wives, your, your sisters in Christ will respect you more for doing this. But more importantly, you can steer their eyes to respect and love the Lord more. And ladies, whether or not the guys around you set the example, Jesus is worthy of your all too. You all might wonder though, Paul says to lift holy hands. You think, my hands aren't very holy. So I guess I'm disqualified here. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, he has washed your hands and made them holy. So you're requalified. That said, if you have, I think the context here would tell us, if you have a, a relationship in the church that's been broken, someone you're fighting with, you need to address that. Whether or not you realize it, that brokenness will hinder your worship. So make reconciliation and, and peace a priority. Track down who you need to talk to so that you can unhindered lift your hearts and your voices and your hands together in worship to the Lord. You may still wonder, though, why does Paul tell us to lift our hands at all? Like, what's the significance of that? Well, the core commands here are to pray and to get rid of anger and quarreling. The lifting of holy hands is more the assumed setting. It's like it was just a given. Like, if you're gathering to pray, I know you're going to be lifting your hands. Why would Paul assume this? In all likelihood, that's just the way the church worshipped. 
following the examples and traditions described in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. Like if God's people did so then, why wouldn't his people continue to do so now? Now, I've been using lifting hands as an example of something that we see throughout the Bible. But I don't want you to think that's the only way to apply this message. It's not at all. There are many physical responses that can appropriately express our hearts to the Lord. And they are both encouraged and modeled or exemplified all over Scripture. I'll give you a list in a moment. Now, all these expressions don't need to be seen at all times in the church. But at the same time, we should not assume they're just cultural or irrelevant to us. I don't believe they are. So as I go through this list, ask yourself, are there any forms of physical worship given to us in God's word that I've never practiced before or obeyed? And if so... Seriously ask yourself, why not? Okay? I doubt I need to show additional places where singing or lifting hands are encouraged. We've seen a bunch. Like I said, singing to God is one of the top two most frequent commands in the Bible. And on lifting hands, I'll add that David wasn't the only one to urge it or model it. Abraham, Solomon, Ezra, Jeremiah, and Paul do as well. Today, we've already heard the encouragement to clap your hands and to shout in Psalm 47. In Psalm 27, David says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. So I'll worship with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord, using his lungs to express his praise. A shouting with joy is repeated at least eight times in the Psalms, and it's modeled in First and Second Samuel, Ezra, Ezekiel, and Matthew. If you wonder what that looks or sounds like, just think cheering, celebrating. It's the whooping and hollering like you'd hear at a concert or a sports game. In case you needed to be told, you are allowed to cheer for the Lord. Now, that's not to mention the many times people respond with verbal exclamations in Scripture. Psalm 108 says, Let all the people say amen and praise the Lord or hallelujah. And that's just the start of the list. Bowing down or kneeling is a very common physical expression of worship in the Bible. Psalm 95.6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And that is modeled by Jacob, Hezekiah, Nehemiah, the Magi, Paul, and actually Jesus. More modestly, bowing our heads is spoken of frequently and is often accompanied by worship. For example, Exodus 12 says, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Similar to bowing, we sometimes see people falling to their faces, even lying prostrate before God. Thinks that's just OT style? 
Think again. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about how the church's worship can move an unbeliever to come to faith, saying, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And we see people falling down in worship all over the place. Abraham, David, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Peter, John, the elders and creatures around the throne in Revelation, and no, they weren't just falling down in their hearts. There's also the opposite of bowing. Standing. Or standing in awe. That's a a physical choice and act that we make. Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Are you an inhabitant of the world? Then you have your orders. While we're on our feet, might as well address dancing. Let them praise his name with dancing. That's Psalm 139. Yes, my fellow Baptists, (laughs) there is a time to dance, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3. And this is modeled in Scripture by Miriam, Moses' sister, the undignified David, even the weeping Jeremiah. Notorious dancer Tim Keller, that's a joke, (laughs) comments that, Some have argued against the use of dance in worship, but is it not expected and natural that we accompany words with actions? We can't preach, surely, without using our bodies to express our thoughts and words, so how can we arbitrarily draw the line to exclude dance? The real way to make decisions about issues such as dance is wisdom and love, namely what will edify. In other words, If you think that dancers and leotards will be too distracting and sexually provocative for your congregation, just say so. Don't try to prove that the Bible forbids it. It is a bad habit of mine to seek to label forbidden what is really just unwise. That's some wise advice for sure. If our bodily worship is distracting or unedifying, we should second-guess whether it's the right time or appropriate place for it. However, I think the modern church tends to criticize, discourage, or forbid more than necessary. And that has been to our overall detriment. We need to recapture biblical Worship. And this physical expression is clearly biblical. You may still wonder, though, what's the actual point of this bodily worship? Why do it? Like, what can it actually help us express from our hearts? Well, if you study these scriptures that we just went through, I think that they, they'd show that it communicates a whole variety of different aspects of godly worship. Lifting or spreading our hands seems to express dependence on and need for God or our desperation in prayers or our offering ourselves to the Lord. In Lamentations 3, it expresses sorrow and penitence over sin. 
raising our hands and our voices also expresses gratitude and praise. In essence, like we lift you up, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. Standing in awe or bowing expresses reverence, adoration, submission, or lament and contrition. Bowing our heads or our knees can also express homage and respect as to a king. You likely saw some of that illustrated at King Charles's coronation recently. Clapping, shouting or cheering, dancing all express joy, celebration, praise, we do it naturally when, when someone accomplishes something great or when we win. And God has accomplished greater works than anyone. And God has won. So rejoice in the Lord. And all of the above can affirm and demonstrate our faith in a visible public way. And thus it, it can encourage and edify other believers. It exemplifies worship. It inspires community participation. And it even witnesses to the reality of faith to unbelievers. Here's the point in a nutshell. Why should we worship God with our bodies? Because worship begins in our hearts, but our hearts will express themselves. And so, bodily worship should reflect the posture of our humbled hearts. Bodily worship should honestly and accurately reflect the posture of our hearts, our humbled hearts. So are you praying or singing and asking God for his help, for his mercy, salvation? Show it. Are you sensing the blessing of God that he has given you in the gospel? Let it out. Are you thankful, joyful, sorrowful, repentant, awestruck? Like, let your body reflect your heart. Remember how Psalm 16 put it, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Bodily worship should reflect that posture of our humbled hearts. Now that truth really should protect bodily worship from becoming either hypocritical or showing off. Like, if your heart has not been humbled by the grace of God, then don't do any of this. Or, if you would do so in order to be seen or praised by others, then don't do any of it. But, if we realize who we are and who God is, that puts us in our rightful place and we will, in humility, feel joy sorrow, gratitude, and dependence on him. We don't need to. We really shouldn't hide those things. I'd like to read a longer quote than usual from Sam Alberry, who says this. 
There are areas of our Christian life where we tend to think the body is not involved. With prayer, for example, it is easy to think it is simply a matter of our inner self. The body is not involved other than perhaps to close our eyes so that we can focus on praying. So it is striking how often the Bible speaks of bodily posture when describing prayer. No one posture is prescribed, but it goes to show that prayer is not a matter of bodily indifference. Our posture can help express or encourage the appropriate posture of our heart. The same goes for corporate worship. He says, much of my experience has been shaped by a culturally conservative English lack of expressiveness. We're meant to sing with enthusiasm and joy, but the unwritten rule is that while our hearts, minds, and mouths are engaged, our bodies aren't, other than the fact that we stand to sing. Sam then describes a, a bad experience, bad church experience he had with hypocritical bodily worship, when a church was really big on outward expression, but they didn't really love Christ. And that left him with a, a revulsion for religious theatrics. But then he says he overreacted. He later saw that the problem wasn't their physical worship, but with their hypocrisy in it. He goes on, there is a reason that even in the same culturally conservative, inexpressive England, men still go down on one knee to propose. Asking for someone's hand in marriage is about as formal a moment as we can experience. It really matters. It's a sign of deference, of humility, of the worthiness of the person being asked, and the lack of presumption of the one asking. If a man asked with his hands in his pockets, something would be seriously off. The posture is meant to match the heart. It is as much of a mismatch when the posture of our body doesn't match the posture of our heart as when, like at the church I attended, the posture of our heart doesn't match the posture of our body. If we wouldn't keep our hands in our pockets at a football game, it seems incongruous to do so at church. What we do with our bodies matters, and what we don't do with our bodies also matters. People from a similar background to mine do well to reflect on the fact that corporate worship in the Bible is far more physically expressive than the worship in our own churches tends to be. Even allowing for the natural variety God has given us in temperament, it suggests that the determined non-use of our bodies in worship isn't neutral, but unbiblical. What we do, or don't do, with our bodies matters. Instead of asking why we should worship with our bodies, maybe we should rather be asking, why haven't we? Or why wouldn't we? Is it just not what we're used to doing? Not the way we were raised? Not our personality? Is it something that makes us feel uncomfortable? If so, we likely need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone to dethrone our idol of comfort. And in order to grow as a person, a whole body disciple of Christ Jesus. Today or in the weeks ahead, I would encourage you to make a point to try expressing your heart's posture in a way that you haven't before. You might be surprised how natural it becomes. 
Or perhaps we don't tend to worship this way because we don't want to show off or distract others. Like we've seen, that's a great motive. It's the wrong solution. Demonstrating what your heart believes is not equivalent to showing off. We should avoid being distracting or being disruptively expressive. Absolutely. On the other hand, humbly expressing ourselves biblically shouldn't be distracting. And if it is, it may be the church culture that's wrong, not the expression of worship. Some of us are, frankly, far too worried about what other people will think of us, which is nothing less than the fear of man, not the fear of the Lord. It's worth thinking through, like, what are we actually worried about people thinking? That we're too emotional? Too Pentecostal? A little bit loopy? We're not respectable, or we're undignified, immature, fanatical? Maybe we're just too committed to this Jesus thing? Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now think about that. We think we're protecting ourselves when we're concerned about what other people think. But really, that is the dangerous snare. And only trusting God keeps us safe. Our response to him and worship should be based on his worthiness alone, not on some image or reputation we're worried that we might damage or lose. Those are just a few of the, the many reasons we may not tend to worship in the ways the Bible says are natural to worship. But are they truly good reasons? Like, be mindful of the dangers but don't let them keep you from responding to God in the ways that he is worthy of being worshipped by you, unafraid and unashamed. And that's really the heart of the matter. What is God worthy of from us? Is he truly worthy of our deepest, strongest, purest affections? I return to my initial thoughts. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Really, our mouths speaking, praying, and singing isn't enough. Neither are our actions of lifting and bowing or clapping or dancing. They aren't enough. They aren't adequate to fully express our amazement and gratitude and awe. At least I hope that's true of you. No expression of worship is sufficient on its own, so we must use all we've got to glorify him. Good news, all God asks for now is what we can actually give. He's already given everything else. So he's happy with our hearts and our hearts expression. Mm -hmm.